Welcome and thank you for joining the Society for Clinical Research Sites for SCRS Talks. I'm Jimmy Bechtel, the Vice President of Site Engagement with SCRS. SCRS Talks is a program that allows our partners and those that we work closely with to take a few minutes to address issues of industry concern, share exciting achievements, and learn more about our community. Today, we have Roman Fishuk, the head of the clinical trials department at the Central City Hospital in Ukraine. Roman is here to share some additional insights with us on the status of trials in Ukraine, something the presentation his other industry colleagues gave at the EU Site Solutions Summit just this past November. Roman, thank you for being here with us today. And if you wouldn't mind, we'd love to get an introduction from you. Hello, and uh, it's great to be here and to talk to you today. So my name is uh, Roman Fischuk. I'm the an ENT doctor by training and also the uh, head of the clinical trials unit at the Central City Clinical Hospital in Ivano-Frankivsk, uh, which is in Western Ukraine. Uh, as I mentioned before, I'm an ENT doctor. I trained. I was trained in Ukraine. I did my master's in uh, in London at the UCL Ear Institute and uh, did a few fellowships abroad as well. Uh, but since 2016, I've been heavily involved in clinical uh, trials industry. And uh, I'm really happy I got introduced to this area of healthcare because it's really exciting to be in it and to be able to uh, talk and communicate with colleagues from all parts of the world. And uh, really happy that in 2018, I, I got to know what SCRS is and uh, since that time, we tried to be really active as a site and to contribute as a site and share our experiences, our uh, visions. So really great to be in this industry. Thanks, Roman. It has been very rewarding to have you part of SCRS and sharing your perspective. So thank you uh, for, for being with us and, and sharing uh, all that you do for your site and, and how research is operationalized in Ukraine. And as Everyone on the line hopefully knows SCRS recently hosted the European Site Solutions Summit in Lisbon, Portugal, again, just this past November, where we were hoping that you were going to be able to share your stories about how the conflict in Ukraine is impacting clinical trials and patients. Unfortunately, you were unable to join us for some extenuating circumstances, but uh, can you take some time here to share your perspective on the current status of clinical trials in Ukraine and how the war has uh, affected those studies? Well, uh, Ukraine has been fighting this war, uh, really brutal war against Russia for more than nine months now. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Russia is pretty much terrorizing the country and the civil uh, society and the civil community and targeting uh, civil infrastructure. So instead of fighting in the actual battlefield with soldiers, they are launching missiles, hundreds of missiles, and targeting hospitals, schools, universities, just uh, residential apartment buildings. Uh, so uh, the war has impacted the country a lot. Uh, and uh, no matter where you live, because Ukraine is actually the biggest country in Europe, which not many people realize, but it is huge. And every part of the country, and for example, me, I live close to, we, we live pretty close to Polish border. And it's more than 1,000 miles from the actual front line, but still we don't get a lot of electricity these days at our houses. So on a regular day, I may have three to four hours of electricity in my apartment. So most uh, right now for us, hospitals where we work 
and the places like that they are the 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 places where we can get our cell phones charged where it, they are these places are heated where you can get uh, you know where you can get actual uh, supply for your uh, daily things that you usually use so uh, in clinical trials uh, the war has impacted us as well but because of covid and i think this is one of the positive sides of covid we were pretty much ready to different alternative options that we use in clinical trials so before the war the actual war started on the 24th of february we as a site as a hospital proactively approached uh, the the sponsors the CRAs the CROs we work with and asked do you have a backup plan in case something starts because since you know since november we saw that uh, russia was uh, gathering troops around ukraine and we no one wanted this to happen but we understood that something might happen and we asked about the companies about risk mitigation plans backup plans what we as a site can do if something happens and we offered the things we were able to do and we were able pr to provide and also ask the questions uh, that really had to be answered by the sponsors and the CROs. Uh, unfortunately, I, I'm not sure if the companies uh, didn't take this seriously or whatever their reasons were, but we never never received any, any specific responses from the companies. And then the war started and uh, at the time it was just a matter of survival for many people. And I know that uh, some research sites were under the occupation. Just recently, they were liberated. So it's uh, some sites were impacted more than the others. For us, we never stopped working for a day. So we, uh, and I'm happy to say that we were able to keep contact with all of our patients because when the war started, we had about more than 200 patients enrolled in different studies that we had. And uh, we kept in contact with most, with all of them. And only a few moved to other countries. The rest, they stayed here and we managed to do uh, home visits, uh, remote visits, televisits. And uh, because of COVID, that's where we got all of the experience with the home visits at, uh, at patients' houses and using certain tools of decentralized clinical trials. So that was really helpful. So for, for us, uh, we were pretty much surprised that we were kind of ready and were able to use different tools and different uh, technologies uh, to continue our op operation. But the, the way the companies reacted, uh, all of the enrollment stopped in the clinical trials and all of the trials that were already approved by the national regulator, by local ethics committees, they were stopped and, uh, and put on hold. And unfortunately, even until now, the company's big sponsors, CROs, they haven't resumed uh, their activities in Ukraine, which is very unfortunate for us and for the patients in the first place, because now our patients, they need access to clinical trials, I think, as much as as, as never before. Uh, so, yeah, they, the war has impact and is impacting clinical trial, trials industry. But by this time, uh, everything has been worked out. We can export uh, lab samples. We can uh, do site visits. We can do remote visits. We can host uh, CRA visits. Uh, and uh, we're very flexible. Uh, to whatever the companies want to do, uh, but as of now, I think that's the 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 ball is on on the company's side because they need to make some decisions about this. Thanks, Roman. 
It's a really important message that I want to make sure that everyone who listens to this understands, particularly our sponsor and CRO partners. It's a similar message to what we heard on site in Lisbon that most sites, if not all of them in the Ukraine, are willing and ready and able to continue their clinical trials and their patients are there. They're ready to be treated. So I think that's a really important message that we make sure we hit home for our listeners. Roman, can you share some of the other insights that you might have wanted to bring up during your session? Uh, absolutely. I mean, we understand that uh, the companies have their own interests. For example, they need, you know, they, they want to make sure that the, the data is safe. And uh, we're not saying that we need to resume enrollment in all sites in Ukraine. No, you need to be selective about it because you need to weigh outweigh the risks and the benefits, uh, you know, the and all, all all those things. But there are many sites right now in Ukraine that are able to provide high quality results and provide high quality data as our colleagues from other countries do uh, in clinical trials. And uh, that's was that was one of the messages that that you don't need. No one's talking about resuming clinical trial activities in the whole country. Right. Because in, in many places, it's still not safe to do that. But because of this internal migration of people, our enrollment capabilities actually improved. So the place where I live, it used to be 250,000 people population. Now it's about 400,000 people. So you can imagine how enrollment can change in the clinical trials that we participate in, right? And most of these people, they are the people that usually meet most of the inclusion criteria, you know, they're people over 18 years old uh, with chronic conditions. And, you know, because we work, I work at a multi-specialty hospital, so we do clinical trials in, in many areas. So pretty much we cover, we can cover mo everything except for uh, cancer trials and pediatric trials right now, so the, and psychiatry. And the rest we have experience with, especially COVID in the last two years, anything from inpatients, outpatients, prophylaxis. Uh, we're really encouraging companies to, uh, come to Ukraine with the vaccine studies because I think we pretty much miss, we were missed out on those. So yeah, uh, you need to be very selective, but uh, we can be very competitive in the clinical trial industry and provide the same quality and high quality results and make sure that uh, the companies receive data that they need so much from from our patients. And this, you know, and right now I think that Ukraine is a great country for the centralized clinical trials uh, opportunities because. You know, now we have the war, but we know that these cities, they, we will all be part of this and uh, we will use some sort, and, and we've been using some parts of these technologies in, in the last years, and this will just increase. And uh, we have to be ready to it. And uh, it's not only the war that can, you know, that uh, creates this atmosphere to try these tools, but, you know, you, you have natural disasters like, uh, in Florida, the, the hurricane, then you can have volcano eruptions, then uh, different things happen in the world every day, protests, and the sites need to be need to be flexible and need to have an, different options of how to receive the data and transfer the data that sponsors will use for the analysis in, in clinical trials. So right now where other people can say that Ukraine is a very risky place to do clinical trials and I would say that no, we actually have more opportunities right now because that's the time where we can try different uh, different 
you know, hybrid trials or fully decentralized trials, because that's right now we have the environment to do that. And that's uh, was one of the messages I wanted to communicate to the companies that uh, you shouldn't just turn your back to the country if it is in trouble, right? You should be actually trying to help and see the look for the opportunities and uh, how this can be used for the benefit of of the others in the future, like in clinical trials. Right now, our participants, they participate in clinical trials for the benefit of future patients. The same here, you can uh, use this new technology here for the benefit of the uh, clinical trials industry in the future as well. Thanks, Roman. Really interesting message, I think, for our, again, our partners on the line here uh, who, who might be listening to this, is that like you had said, the opportunity is really perfect for implementation of decentralized clinical trials. We recognize the changing landscape of clinical trials in Ukraine. Uh, they're still capable in a lot of ways of conducting clinical studies. And as you had said, again, it really is an important message to get across that let's use some of our remote capabilities to facilitate those studies and keep trials moving uh, in Ukraine, which represents such an important portion of our clinical trials uh, and, and our population. So, which is where I'd like to go next, Roman, if you wouldn't mind, uh, what does Ukraine truly represent in terms of clinical trial enrollment and participation, uh, you know, what does your patient population mean for the global clinical trial landscape? Uh, well, I can only uh, judge from my own experience and from the experience uh, of meeting people at the conferences, uh, reading through the publications in the in the peer-reviewed uh, journals. Uh, so I know that Ukraine is really strong in uh, cancer trials. Ukraine always does really good, and our investigators are always uh, published in the in the papers that are written based on the results of clinical trials. Uh, so the recruitment is really good. Then, for example, as a principal investigator in in, in the ENT trials, uh, we were in we participated in four trials in the last five years, and we always were one of the top recruiting sites globally. In 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 the in this in this pathology in chronic rhinosinusitis with nasal polyps, and uh, in COVID studies we were also top recruiting site. We were published uh, with other colleagues in New England Journal of Medicine. Uh, now we are working on another manuscript uh, with our colleagues from another from other countries. So uh, I know that investigators that do clinical trials in uh, rheumatoid arthritis are pretty big. Pediatric trials are always good here as well. So I know that Ukraine contributes a lot to clinical trials and uh, and it, recruitment in clinical trials. But uh, you know the, the 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 variety of trials is so large, and uh, most of the trials, unfortunately, they don't get to Ukraine usually because of uh, Ukraine is usually considered as a as a backup country in many trials. And in case there there are issues with the enrollment then Ukraine may be added to a trial and we would like to, to change this stereotype and try to involve Ukraine when the when the when the when clinical trials are actually planned and uh, because we provide good re recruitment numbers and the quality of data is also good i mean there's always room for for improvement but i think it's the same in every country because after talking to colleagues and investigators from 
all parts of the world, uh, you know, we have similar issues, we have similar concerns, and uh, we all are trying to work them out. And STRS is a great platform where we can actually come up with different solutions that work both for us and for the sponsors and the CROs. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, uh, I know that Ukraine has a huge potential in clinical trials and we can do much more and should be involved much more in clinical trials. For example, uh, COVID vaccine studies, we didn't have any, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, for, for Ukraine with a population of 40 million people, that was a good, that was a very good opportunity. We tried to get on board of the solidarity trial led by the WHO, but again, we didn't manage to do that. So uh, sometimes I think that there are some artificial challenges in including Ukraine in clinical trials because of its status as a developing country. And I hope this will change with time and uh, we'll manage to get on board clinical trials when they are actually in the face of just planning. Thanks, Ramon. Uh, we heard similar messaging from our presenters on site at the European summit who did share that uh, uh, I believe it was uh, Ukraine representing 2% of global clinical trial uh, enrollment, which is um, a significant number if you step back and look at um, the, the global clinical trial enrollment landscape. So it's great to hear your emphasis of that point and what that means and uh, the key areas in which Ukraine can help support our, our clinical trials. Again, thank you for sharing that. I think it's an important message as well here to understand from you how our industry partners can support more effectively trial-related efforts going on in Ukraine. Just to add briefly to the previous point, just a, one number. So we participated in a, a observational NIH-funded study, National Institutes of Health study. So out of uh, almost 11,000 enrolled patients, 2,802 were randomized at our site. So it's more than a quarter of the of, of the whole enrolled population. So in some trials, we do actually enroll 10%, 20%, 25% of all the uh, enrolled population. So we can do really, we can show really good results. In terms of working with the with sponsors, CROs, uh, again, I don't think that we, well, now with the war, we need more support in terms of helping us with the, uninterrupted access to internet, for example, right? Because that's a big issue, uh, but there are solutions for that. Uh, the same with the electricity supply, but most of the hospitals, we are, we have backups, we have generators. So we don't, we are always uh, the online and we're always have the uh, resources, you know, the fridges that we keep IP within the temperature limits, which is really important, the temperature deviations, we avoid them because the hospitals are well supplied with the with the electricity. Uh, so just things like that, in, in case where it's needed, the sponsors can help us and uh, Im improve this infrastructure. But just in general, the, what right now it just comes to actually resuming operations in Ukraine because we 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 want to work and we're telling the companies we want to work just come back to Ukraine and resume your operations we are ready to do our work so except for you know we don't need any other special assistance because we are ready to do our job and to continue doing our job as we did it before the war started so 
that's pretty much the message. We don't need any uh, special assistance right now, except for certain places maybe where companies can help with different specific equipment. But that was the same even before the war started, right? We as a site, we try to be as ready as possible for any trial. And we try to have all of the equipment that may be required. We try to have backups for different, if, if something goes bad with the, with the device. But this is pretty much similar in, in many places. And that's where the companies should go and select the sites that are ready for different uh, scenarios. Thanks, Roman. Uh, really powerful insights there. And, and I hope our industry partners take a lot of those to heart. We'll begin to wrap things up here, Roman, uh, and I, I'd end on our last question here. What advice do you have for sites or industry partners conducting clinical trials in Ukraine? The ones that are maybe the boots on the ground or are still um, continuing to try to make things work uh, in in the Ukraine. Well, uh, I would like to return to the to the global summit where we had this uh, you know great discussion about. Uh, nothing should be created for the sites or without the sites, right? So uh, whenever something is supposed to be used by the sites, we we ask the sponsors, the CROs, service providers to involve the sites in the development of the software or devices or, you know, and it also goes the same way for patients. If If something is created for patients, we need to get the and that's what we do. We talk to our patients and ask them what's, what is the best way for them to do this and this procedure. And we understand that the success of, of in our industry, it's a shared responsibility from us, from the patients, from the, from, from the sponsors, CROs. And whenever the sponsors need our input, we're always happy to, 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 to share our experiences and to give our advice and the same from our side whenever we think about something that isn't that involves these companies we work with uh, we always talk to them about this as well we communicate with our partners and we see our you know the sponsors CROs vendors as our partners and whenever we took some made some serious decisions for example when COVID started and we didn't know what you know what what it was what it was yet we stopped all on-site monitoring visits because we were afraid for our partners' safety because, you know, CRAs, they are traveling to different places. They are a high-risk population. So uh, because we had many patients with COVID, we stopped all on-site monitoring because we were not sure we could provide a safe environment for them to work. So whenever uh, we just want to be partners with equal rights, whenever something has to do with us, we want to be involved. And whenever something is, uh, will deal with the companies, we try to get their input as well. So just consider us partners and we are in this industry for the, you know, we're, we have the same goal. We want it to be as successful as possible. Thanks, Ramon. I think that's a really wonderful message to end things on um, that that note of positivity and, and hope and moving things forward for our clinical trials in Ukraine. Uh, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for sharing your insights. Truly valuable. I know that our industry partners who uh, are able to listen to this podcast will get a lot of value out of the messaging that you have to bring forward. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you very much for this opportunity. And again, we're really happy to be part of SCRS. And uh, from our side, we do whatever we can to spread the word about the society and also to 
to contribute as uh, whatever we can. So thank you very much. Thanks, Ramon. For those that are listening, make sure that you register for our other upcoming summits being held throughout 2023 by visiting the summit page on our website, myscrs.org. While you're on our website, be sure to also check out other SCRS publications and resources for the community. We appreciate your participation in today's program and look forward to having you join us for more great content. Thanks for listening.